Grab your Bibles with me and let's turn to Ephesians chapter 6. So we continue our sermon series, Grace, Peace, and Power that we find in Him. Today I want to preach verse 13 through 15 in part one of a two-part focus on the armor of God that we find in verse 13 through 17. I want to read all of verse 13 through 17, the context of this passage, and then we'll dig in. Paul says, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of, the, of God. Word of our Lord. Verse 13, therefore, take up the whole armor of God. The first thing Paul says here in verse 13 is therefore. And whenever we read that word, we need to slow to consider that what is about to be said is connected to what was just said. To do this, let's be reminded of what Paul just said in verse 10 through 12, which was our sermon focus last week. Ephesians 6, 10 through 12, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Spiritual warfare is a very real thing for all of us who belong to Jesus, for we are now spiritually alive and no longer spiritually dead in our sin. The enemy we face is real and he's crafty and he's relentless. So we must be strong in the Lord because we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And we need to do what Paul says here in verse 13 and beyond. And what is that? To take up the whole armor of God. In other words, there is spiritual armor that we must know and we must wear diligently if we are to withstand the enemy in this evil day that we are in. As we consider putting on armor, have you wondered if Paul, as he thought about armor, where does that come from? He's riding from jail, so maybe he's looking at the Roman guard, he's looking at Roman soldiers, and he sees armor. Some have put that together, but many theologians, including myself, don't believe that's his inspiration for this, but instead, the words of the Old Testament, where Paul's mind is, as he considers the armor of God. Consider with me a few verses. Psalm 24, verse 8. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Isaiah 59, 16-17, He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought him salvation and his righteousness upheld him. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. Consider the fact that the Lord Jesus himself in the flesh utilized the spiritual armor just as we are to utilize it as we look to withstand the schemes of the devil and the evil day that we are in. 
This was especially true of Jesus in the temptations Satan threw at him in the wilderness. Despite Satan throwing his very biggest and best temptations at Jesus, Jesus stood strong in truth and resisted the enemy. See with me, church, the Lord properly dressed in the armor of God in moments like this. If Christ wore the armor of God well, surely we need to all the more. Praise the Lord that we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. See with me that God properly protects the one who is diligent to wear the armor of God from the attacks of the evil one. The question today is, are you wearing the armor of God and are you wearing it well? Look with me at the next part of verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Last week we talked about the fact that we are in this life, as we live this life, we are living in the valley of the shadow of death. Paul here says, take up the whole armor of God that we may be able to withstand in the evil day. That's saying the same thing. This is Paul's way of saying the Christian life is not going to be easy. We stand in the middle of a spiritually war-torn land. And if you are not in the middle of it right now, you can be sure the fight is coming. And we must be truly prepared. Peter said it so well. 1 Peter 4.12 Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But here's the problem. As Western Americans, we are too often surprised. Are we not? Maybe this is you lately, if you're honest. Thinking, where did I go wrong? Maybe saying, I didn't do anything to deserve this. Or maybe even turning to God, God, what are you doing to me? See, the Western mindset that we can be guilty of grabbing onto, secular mindset, is we, we just want this life to work. We, we want it to be predictable. We want it to be orderly. We want it to obey the rules. The rules being if you live right, then it goes good for you. And if you live poorly, then there's consequences, naturally. But life doesn't always work that way. And when good people suffer bad things, we can be guilty of saying, I want my money back. But hear what Peter's saying. Don't think this way. Don't be surprised. If you're too often surprised that it's going bad, that it's coming at you sideways, that is a testimony that that you're not ready. That you have not been properly prepared. Christian, when you wake up every day, do you realize you're waking up into a bloody battle? Or is all the modern practical blessings of your hot shower and your automatic coffee maker and your lazy boy and your puppy that's so cute and and your your car that's full of gas and runs great and and all these modern wealthy conveniences it's just telling you all the time like you're not a war suffering is here and if it's not right now on you it's at your doorstep you have to wake up with this mindset 
you have to realize if it's not on your door, it's down the street. If it's not down the street, it's in a bus headed your way. It's headed to your work. It's headed to your family. It's headed to all of your what you've built up. All the security that you've put into the temporary. All of that mindset that says, I've worked out so well. I've, I've denied sugar so long. Surely I can't be the one with cancer. You know, all these ways of thinking that we're guilty of just overclinging to the, the idea that this is our promised land, that this is our treasure, that, that this is our kingdom. And it's not. Church, we will suffer. We will bleed. We will die. Why? Because the world we live in is broken. It's fractured. It's, it's wicked. And sin divides. It destroys. It lies. It cheats. It hurts. It manipulates. Life on this planet will always include suffering, persecution, injustice, hardship, until Christ comes to call a final end to Satan's influence and to man's selfish dominion. So we must be armored. We must understand it's going to be hard. It's going to be weary. But God is on the throne and is at work for His glory and our good in it all. John Piper once said it well, Life is not a straight line headed from one blessing to the next and then finally to heaven. I feel so bad for people stuck in prosperity gospel churches. They are so duped with lies. Life is not a straight line between leading from one blessing to the next and then finally to heaven. Life is a winding and troubled road. Switch back after switch back. The life of the godly is not a straight line to glory. It's more like a dark and seemingly unknown trail through the mountains. There are rock slides and hairpin turns that cause you to go backward before you go forward. God not only reigns in all the affairs of men, and not only is His providence sometimes hard, but in all of His works, His purpose are for the good and happiness of His people. God is plotting for our joy. He is plotting the course and managing the troubles with far-reaching purpose for our good and the glory of Jesus Christ. Do you believe this, Christian? Is your hope in Christ? Is your trust in the sovereign purposes of God? Or is it on the temporary? Is it on your circumstances? Is it on other things? Oh, how we need to walk by faith and not by sight. And we need to heed Paul's instruction to take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. Paul finishes verse 13 with, And having done all to stand firm. Having done all is in relation to being properly and fully prepared in the whole armor of God. The goal is to endure in faith, to finish the race in faith, to make the most of Christ in all things, and to not quit along the way. James 1.12, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, when he has stood the test. So there, James stood the test, and Paul in our verse saying, having done all to stand firm, that's finishing language. Those who stood against the onslaught of spiritual warfare, stood against the violence, the deception, the demise of many, they stood victorious. They remained in faith to the end, despite what the enemy threw at them. Christian, is this on your mind every day that God wakes you up to live this life? You must not lose sight 
of all that we are to do in the power and the provision of the Lord so that we stand fast to the end. So with that, let's go to the armory and let's consider the vital pieces of armor that God alone provides us. Ephesians 6.14 Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, Church, the belt serves as an anchor for the rest of the armor. For the rest of the dress. Just as God's truth is our essential foundation for life, faith, and spiritual warfare. See the belt and the truth together in this way. This was Paul's point back in chapter 4 of Ephesians, verse 14, that we need to be anchored in God's truth so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. When our faith is not firm in God's truth, and our spiritual muscles are not strong and trained in the truth of God, we will then be vulnerable to be tossed around by the storms of life. Are you anchored in truth? The belt of truth fastened or susceptible to your emotions, your circumstances, knocking you off your feet. The term wind of doctrine is meant to convey flippant, ill-founded, unbiblical, unestablished, trendy beliefs. Hebrews 13.9 says, Do not be led astray by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those Devoted to them. When our faith is not firm and maturing in God's truths, our spiritual muscles are not strong and trained, but are vulnerable, are susceptible to being deceived, to, to being taken up by false doctrine. For those of you who grew up in the church or spent a long time in church, before coming to Disciples Church, or for those of you who have been in our church prior to our Reformation about 13 years ago, think of all the things that you once believed and simply didn't rightly understand God's Word or have sound doctrine yet. Who God really is, how He works, how He saves, what He wants from us, and on and on. Think about in prior to that better biblical understanding of sound doctrine, how susceptible you were in your decision making, in, 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 in your priorities, in the way you went about the things of life. Think about how it influenced you. And think about how it influenced those that you were called to influence. Now some of you are newer to our church. So you're just starting to see that there might be some things that you didn't know that God's Word teaches faithfully. Or things that you once believed different based on tradition or your own personal preferences or conviction. Things you thought you knew, but now you're coming to find are unbiblical. One thing this shows us is that just attending church is not enough. And we have to be active in study of God's Word. We have to be being poured into and discipled and corrected by spiritually mature, biblically convicted people. Some of you are still all too comfortable with just doing the minimum. 
And you need to see today that you could really grow in your spiritual maturity if you would humble yourself and lean in with some commitment and a readiness to be coached. Hear me say today, you need to fasten the belt of truth in your life. To put your feet on the rock so you're no longer tossed to and fro. Now, if false doctrine and sinful worldly ideologies are lies, schemes of the enemy, then what is truth? We're talking about fastening the belt of truth. And so it is God's word, his holy word, his righteous word. It is sound doctrine, biblical doctrine, belief, and is Jesus. The word says it. Ephesians, Paul said it in chapter 4, verse 21. The truth is in Jesus. Jesus said it clearly in John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. When Jesus says, I am the truth, Jesus is saying that all other philosophies, whether it's postmodernism, existentialism, secular humanism, are all man made ideologies. And all other religions, whether it's Islam, Hinduism, Judaism, Jehovah's Witness, Mormonism, all fail to arrive at ultimate truth. Why? Because they don't have Jesus. Because the truth is only found in Christ and in God's Word. Therefore, no man-made ideology or man-made religion is true. It lacks truth. When Jesus says, I am the truth, this is meant to be revolutionary in our lives. Why? Because I can finally know true north and live accordingly. Finally find our way in Christ alone. I don't, I don't want to take from Shelly's testimony that she'll share with us. She's going to be baptized here in a little bit. Praise the Lord. But I love sitting with her and just hearing how well she has listened and absorbed the truth of God. Not just so that she has facts in her head, but so that she literally looks at her life different than she did before the idols of her heart are crumbling because her identity is now in Christ the the, the lifetime of struggle and fallout and missed expectations don't define her anymore she's fixed in Christ she has Jesus and she's so excited about that this truth is to transform it's to take us forward We who belong to Christ must live and speak truth in all we do. This is our testimony. Psalm 51, 5 through 6. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. In sin did my mother conceive me. You're thinking, where have I heard this recently? <laughs> Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being. If you're still not with me, you need to pay better attention to the lyrics we sing in our songs. <laughs> and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. There you are. There's the rest of you. <laughs> Thank you, Lord, for wisdom in the secret heart. For we were deceived in our sinful state. But now we are enlightened by the spirit of truth. With wisdom of the secret heart of God. Let me ask you, Christian, are you wearing the belts of truth? 
Are you living in the truths of God? Or somehow you calling that insufficient and you need your answer, you need your help in something else? No, fasten yourself in the belt of truth. Let it define you and send you, commend you, protect you against the enemy, against your own deceived thinking, secular fleshly mindsets traditions of this world we live in. Are you living in the truths of God? Wearing the belt of truth? Or are you listening to your flesh? Listening to your heart? Your frail emotions? Fixing our minds on the truth of God is so essential to our mooring in the sea of deception that we live in. Let me refer to the reformation God is doing again in our church. Consider how helpful God's truths have been in your faith journey as of late. For many of you, you had many years of fighting this battle under-equipped. You were under-equipped with good biblical truth. As you look back on those former years, you see the consequences of that in your life. You see the uneducated decisions you made, the misguided investments you made, the lack of foundation and sound doctrine that you not only failed to stand on, but failed to share with others, including those closest to you. Church, we need to value a right understanding of what is true and what is not. And I bring up those moments of reflection, not to get you to go wallow in the past. No, we need to leave behind what is behind and press on towards the goal. But be all the more helped today to not miss the point. We need to want the ongoing work of God's truth in our lives. A constant correction and help. Are you, what's, your, what's your answer when someone says to you, you, you go to church a lot. Like, you, know, you don't do the like, Sunday morning for a minute and then it's normal. No, you're, like, you're there a lot, multiple times a week. You're, you're fellowshipping, you're doing these things, you're, you're, being, you're, you're, you're doing trainings, you're like, what? Why? I think one of our biggest answers to that question is so that I could be corrected. Because we're always in need of greater refinement and correction. Is that your humble position? Is that your inspiration? You have a lifetime of thinking about things from the flesh. And so you're desperate for God to help you see and savor truth. I want you to realize that we're going to talk about the truth of God's Word next week as we look to the sword. But what I want you to see today before we move on is that the mention of the belt of truth, the truth of God, in this part of the armor is by way of defense. Whereas the sword next week is going to be by way of offense. Okay? See with me then how essential God's truth is for our protection against deception and lies. Paul's words to the Ephesian elders in Acts 20, 28-31, he says, Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock with the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he, brought, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Verse 28, keep watch. Verse 31, be on guard. 
paragraph begins and ends with a call to watchfulness. Paul's way of saying that the church is always threatened. Satan never takes vacations. Sin lurks at the door waiting for a moment of doctrinal or moral carelessness to sneak in. We have to be on guard. So on guard that he says there is likely even wolves among you. The activity of a wolf is primarily presenting a false gospel that does not lead to life or the true God. But to do this in a deceptive way, to make it look good, to make it look like it's a part. And the reality is, if we're honest, we look back, many of us have, again, had upbringings or experiences where we've been in Christian circles where the work of wolves has been at work to perpetuate inaccurate, life-sucking, false doctrine. Sold as good news. We have to understand, false teaching leads to false faith, which leads to false living. This is why a steady diet of God's Word is so essential. To have the belt of truth as an anchor for all we do. So see with me, there is no good defense. There's no true discernment without biblical truth at work in you. Now, let's look at the next piece of God's armor. Breastplate of righteousness. Stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. This is less about our own efforts to righteousness. This is less about a call to be righteous, church. As much it is more about God's righteousness at work in us. This is why the, it's armor we are to put on. Putting on the righteousness of Christ, I believe, is what Paul has in mind when he says this in Philippians 4, 8, and 9. Listen very carefully to what Paul says here. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. You can have it all. I have Jesus. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Paul's clear to say he doesn't have or produce a righteousness of his own that comes from obeying the law, but instead he's desperate for the righteousness that only comes from God. Praise God that God's grace means He is ordained to put Christ's righteousness on us. We call this imputed righteousness. When a person trusts Jesus Christ with saving faith at that very moment, and forevermore he or she is clothed in Christ's perfect holiness, so that even though the believer still fights indwelling sin until death, he or she is judged by God as blameless, because Christ's righteousness is laid on him or her. This is only possible because of imputation. Imputation means to attribute, to ascribe, to credit. Imputation speaks of what the believer is credited. The righteousness of the true Christian that we are judged by is Jesus' righteousness, not our own. To be very clear here, this righteousness is not infused into us. It's not given to the believer then to be performed by us. It is imputed. It is laid upon the believer. Unlike the error of the Catholic belief that salvation is by faith in Jesus and the works we perform, we hold to the sufficiency of the merit and work of Christ alone in order to be justified. Justified. 
In Galatians chapter 2, we see a situation play out. The Pharisees lived beyond the written laws of God and out of their own, like rules like you can't eat with unclean people. Peter, being Jewish, had grown up in a culture where then therefore Gentiles were looked at as unclean people. But the gospel has changed Peter. And now he's free to befriend Gentiles and eat with Gentiles in Christ. No longer bound by the extra laws of the Pharisees. But over time, Peter gets caught up in his old practices. When the Judaizers come around, he panders to them. He wants to save face. And so he discriminates against the Gentiles in front of them. The Apostle Paul sees this. And he could have just said, hey, racism is against God's will. And Paul would have been right to say that. You're showing favoritism, partiality here. This is racist. This is not okay. But Paul approaches Peter and the leaders with him. Peter's influence is now on others to go false. Faulty in this action. And he brings a different word of accountability. Notice what he says in Galatians 2.14. Paul says to Peter, I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. Paul doesn't just level him with, hey, follow the rules of your faith. He takes those who have misstepped back to the gospel because the gospel is not just the beginning. It's the motivation. It's the power for the entire Christian journey. Galatians 2, 15-16, We ourselves were Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law. Notice the word know. We know that a person is not justified by the works of the law. He's saying, Peter, you and I both know, we agree, justification does not come when we work for God, but when we trust Jesus to justify us freely. So stop acting as though Christian Gentiles have to perform some kind of additional work to get right with God. You're out of step with the gospel. Galatians 2.16, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Jesus Christ in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. His point to Peter is this. Even though we were law-keeping Jews and not Gentile sinners, that was our old testimony, still we both have come to stake our lives on Jesus alone for salvation. We've trusted Jesus alone and no longer our works. We've ceased to hope, therefore, in ourselves to, to perform or produce. We need Jesus alone because His righteousness imputed to us is perfect. It's complete. In Jesus, my sin is counted paid for, and His righteousness is counted to me. So when we see this rightly and fully, we trust in Jesus alone, and our old proud self, which used to love to display its power and its performance by climbing ladders, by working extra gigs, by getting a little bit of love and acclimate, that dies. Self-reliance, self-confidence cannot live at the foot of the cross. We must be anchored by faith alone as we, even as we grow in sanctification, even as good works become more and more our reality. My anchor is in faith alone to Jesus' work. That I don't add anything. God doesn't love you more on the days you do better. And He doesn't love you less on the days you don't. He loves you because Jesus got it all right. You have to know this, Christian. You have to dress in that every day. Putting on the breastplate of righteousness. Never getting caught up in performance like Peter did. 
Jesus' righteousness is all we need to dress in every day. We are complete in Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. Don't wake up today, tomorrow. I'm going to do some good today, Lord. Wake up naked, humbled. I need the, I need the breastplate of Jesus' righteousness that's all I need. And so why is the righteousness of God such a vital part of our spiritual armor? Here it is, if you haven't picked it up by now. We need to remember all the time, it's not up to us to make our way. Why is that so important? Because one of the greatest deceptions and tools of the enemy is to try to trip you up to make you think that you've accomplished something or need to accomplish something. You need to remember the righteousness you have belongs to Christ and you are dependent on Him alone. And if so, then you're not tricked to perform or accomplish, but you were held up in the righteousness of God and His work in and through you. Amen? Now look with me at the end of 14, the next part of the armor of God. Stand firm, therefore, having fastened the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Readiness equals preparation. Shoes for your feet, that equals readiness. This, this makes sense. But let me just ask, are you ready, Christian? Are you prepared? When that question is asked in my home, to my family members, especially my youngest ones, are you ready to leave? That is... Co- Normally, in reference to shoes, right? It's not really in reference to clothes. Clothes should have been put on right away when they woke up. Well, that home's just weird. But they don't have shoes on. We put shoes on to leave so we don't walk on public restrooms barefoot, right? We put shoes on to go out into the world. The the world doesn't have nice carpet, well-tended to tile. You put shoes on. If your shoes are on, you're ready to go. You're walked into a room where you don't perceive that a family member is leaving and they're sitting there with their shoes on. Hey, why are your shoes on? My, my Parker turns 14 on Monday. Happy birthday, buddy. He loves his tennis shoes. And he just insists to always have them on in the house. And he's going to have a great sermon point to throw back at me. Dad, I'm just ready. We'll talk later, bud. (laughs) Consider the metaphor in regards to your spiritual warfare then. Why shoes are the perfect choice by Paul here. Are you so comfortable in your present living and circumstances that you're not ready to walk? You're not ready to serve. You're not ready to die. You're not ready to testify. Christian, this is not our home. We're at war. We're sojourners. So we need to have our shoes on. We need to always be ready, always be prepared. Think of these other scriptures. 1 Peter 3.15 But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason, for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. 2 Timothy 4.2 Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Are you ready? Are you prepared? Are you in the Word? Do you have a Word to share? I love this. i got to get refined of this in the motorcycle club, that many of the brothers who kind of looked to me as a more mature brother, even though I was younger than many of them, and, and they would love you know, the Word of God that I would bring, and so often they would run into me, Shepherd, hey, you got a good Word 
for us today. We'd sit around the fire at night, and, and I'd just be called out, Shepherd, bring it. And, and it really dawned on me, I should be in the words so much that I'm ready. And, and praise God that often that's the case. I, I don't have to go through a Rolodex. I get to, just get to share where I've been in the Word that day or that week or the things I've been studying and get to let it be. But, but you might go, Pastor, but that's what you do for a living. No, no, Christian, that's what you should be doing is in the Word and ready. you got a good Word. you got the Word of the Lord to go. The gospel good news, you're, you're excited to get to testify it. Hey, you open the door, here I come. These are critical commissioning statements to us as believers. In these days we have under the sun. In these evil days in which we fight for His namesake. Look with me at the conclusion. We're going to pause here today at the end of verse 15. As shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Paul says that our readiness is given by the gospel of peace. How is the gospel of peace a source of readiness? Quickly, what is the gospel? The gospel is the truth that God reigns supreme over all created things. Everything that is from Him, through Him, and to Him for His glory is for His glory. That's Romans 11. The gospel is the truth that man has turned away from God's glory in sinful disobedience to make it about our glory. To worship the idol of creation instead of the Creator. That's Romans 1 and 3. The Gospel is the the truth that because of our sin, we deserve God's righteous, eternal wrath. That's Romans 6. The Gospel is the truth that in God's amazing grace, He chooses to save many sinners by the perfect shed blood of His Son. That's Romans 3. The gospel is the truth that God gives many undeserving people ears to hear and eyes to see. And those who repent of their sin and self and trust wholly in Jesus Christ alone for salvation and lordship. He justifies them. He adopts them as his own for eternity. That's Romans 8. The gospel is the news. It's news that you don't just hear. No, you hear it and it changes you. Changes your life. It's the kind of news that completely changes a person who put their faith in it. So realize the work of the gospel is surely at work in our salvation, in our testimony, in our worship. But we need to see what Paul's saying here. That the gospel is good and helpful to make us ready, to make us prepared. How? The gospel helps us see that we didn't accomplish anything. We're desperate for Him. And we don't just live for today or for the temporary. While we work and eat and sleep and raise our kids, we've been given a huge opportunity to live for Christ in word and deed. That's the purpose of these days in the midst of this evil day. To make much of Him, which means we will be attacked by the enemy and hated by the world, but all the more reminder, I belong to Jesus. The gospel gives us readiness to battle, to endure, to testify. How does it do this? Because of the peace we have as Christians. Peace in the middle of a gory war. We have true and lasting peace because we belong to Jesus. The gospel secures our peace with God and gives us assurance of His favor Jesus says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give it as the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled and don't be afraid. When Jesus says he's leaving you and I peace, he's not saying I leave you a world without chaos or hardship. He's saying, I am your peace. A peace for you to rest in even when it's coming at you full force. Jesus fought and won the fight we could not fight or win so that you and I could know and have true and lasting peace. He, Jesus, was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon Him, and by His wounds we are healed. Amen? Are you readied by the peace of the gospel? 
are you guilty of going, no, 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 I'm not ready. No, no, you have Jesus. You have the peace of Christ. Do you know the God of peace? Do you know Jesus as Lord and Savior? Only then will you have the shoes of the readiness in the gospel of our Lord. Only then will you have the breastplate of righteousness of our perfect Lord. Only then will you have the belt of truth to stand on in all things. Church, this armor is so important. Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the evil day and having done all to stand. And in closing this morning, consider with me what this does to our doubt and our fear in this dark battle that rages all around. Psalm 27.1 The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Amen? Pray with me. Father, we thank you for this time together. What a glorious morning. What what a good God you are. All of your provisions in our lives, all the ways in which you are at work, the ways your truths are shaping, convicting, and moving us, the ways in which we get to live for you in these days we're in, praying for the testimony of the gospel as it's now gone to work in many, that in your perfect time they would... They would see and hear and believe that they would turn from their sin and turn to Jesus and trust their lives to him. God, do your work in us as we put on the armor of God and honor you in these days. We love you dearly. In Jesus' name we pray.